especially for a pastor, uh, that's really kind of the, 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 there's some really great things for pastoring and some great encouraging things. So I saw this story. Does anybody know who Lou Brock is? Lou Brock? All right, a few people. How all my Cardinal fans know who Lou Brock is? Yeah, he was also a Cub for, for a while. But Lou Brock uh, was a, a professional baseball player. And he was the stolen base champion. He had the record for many years. And, uh, and I saw this story, and it said it was this. 40,000 fans were on hand at Oakland Stadium when Ricky Henderson tied Lou Brock's career stolen base record. Uh, how many know who Ricky Henderson is? All right, two people know who he was. Okay, he's a great baseball player, has the most stolen bases uh, out of all, all baseball. Uh, according to the USA Today, Lou, Lou Brock, who had had the record, had left baseball in 1979, had followed Henderson's career, and was excited about his success. Realizing that Ricky would set a new record, Brock said, I'll be there. Do you think I'm going to miss it now? Ricky did in 12 years what it took me 19. He's amazing. Um, and, and what I really thought about that and took out of that story, the real success of that story is the fact that Lou Brock, he could have been upset that Ricky Henderson surpassed him, but what he did was he encouraged him and was excited for him. And how many could use a little bit of encouragement? All right. Um, and, uh, and I love that when we encourage people, it is one of the key times that we can exhibit God's grace on our lives, when we encourage people. I, and so uh, I want to do that. Everyone look at your neighbors say, Let, be encouraged tonight. All right, so picking up here at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, of course, Paul's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, pastor of the first church of Ephesus. That was not the name of it. I just threw that in there. Um, but he was the, the pastor of, of the church there in Ephesus. And this is Paul's last letter, just to kind of bring us up to date here, uh, that he ever wrote uh, that we know of. And it was written in a Roman prison uh, where it was cold and dark and damp. And he would, he would eventually meet Nero here and be beheaded shortly after this letter. So what I love about Paul is even though it doesn't look good for him, he's still encouraging people. He's still uh, helping, helping Timothy and saying, hey, you've got this. And so if you need a subheading here in, in the second chapter here is this, a good soldier of Christ Jesus. How many want to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus? All right. Um, something I will say this, something about a soldier is you got to fall into line to what God's doing. Amen. A rogue soldier is one that is probably going to get hurt and probably killed on the battlefield. But a soldier that is in line with the, with the big picture can be effective in, in defeating their foe or enemy, right? So uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. So uh, then, uh, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is Christ Jesus. So Remember, we, I talked about Timothy a little bit. Timothy was a little bit sickly. Uh, we know uh, in the first book to Timothy, Paul told him, hey, uh, you know, take a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake, talking about medicinally. Um, you know, today he might say, take a little Alka-Seltzer. How many know that Alka-Seltzer cures all things? I'm with you, Christina and Kentley. Like, uh, uh, I used to laugh at my dad because he would take Alka-Seltzer all the time. And I was always like, Dad, I don't know about. Well, I'm gonna tell you. I think it cures most things. I really, I really do believe that now. But, but, uh, but, but Timothy was a little bit sickly. He was, he was a little bit timid, and he was a, he was a little bit emotional because we, we know that because, um, when he left Paul after one of missionary journeys, he, he actually got uh, broke down crying and, and he was timid, and that's why Paul kept telling him, hey, stir up the gift and, 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 and be strong. And, and, you know, he kept telling those things. So um, I don't know if it had been me writing this. I probably would have been like, get it together, Timothy. Stop being an emotional wreck. Stop being a crybaby. Everyone gets sick every once in a while. Pick, your, pick yourself up by your boot. That's the difference between Paul and me. But what Paul does, he, he says this, be what? Strong in Grace. Think about that statement for a minute. Be strong in grace. Same thing for you and me when we lack, mm, okay, 
Man, how many know sometimes in the ministry, sometimes we are, are, are living our life as a Christian, we lack personality. Some of us have a little too much personality at times, right? Some of us, uh, it may come out over a little bit strong. Sometimes we are lacking and weak. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some days are better than others. Some days you get up, you're like, I got the victory today. And then the next day you're like, <sighs> you're like got the Eeyore syndrome. Woe is me, right, kind of thing. And, um, and, and, you know, maybe sometimes we're less impressive intellectually. Boy, that would be my case right now. I'm constantly learning. I wish I could be better and always, always learn. But Paul says this, be strong in grace. Everyone say, be strong in grace. All right. And uh, we should expect the Lord to bless us not because of who we are, but in, in spite of who we are. Does that make sense? Did that, did that come out all right? I hope, so. I hope so. Let me say that a different way. We should expect the Lord to bless you not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. God's grace loves us in spite of who we are. He, the Lord every day doesn't get up and go, man, Katie is like, she is just having a terrible day today, and so I'm not going to bless her today. No, the Lord gets up and he looks, sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you, Katie, I know I can. Um, but he looks for somebody to bless because he is gracious, right? So, um, you know, God is looking for those who he can bless. Right? Do you believe that? God is looking for people he could bless, not because they're talented, not because of their devotion, not because of their uh, uh, religiosity or their piety, but simply because of his grace. How many love that? I love that. Thank you, Lord. First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 27 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, not many were of noble birth. Verse 27 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I like that verse. That gives me hope, right? And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I love God's economy because the way we see something sometimes, and you know, we can look at at Timothy's weaknesses, and we could say, man, he may not have been the best, but God looks at him and says, there is somebody that loves me, will do what I've asked them to do, who's on fire for me, so I'm going to use that person. So it doesn't matter. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. Amen? So look at this. Uh, uh, verse 2 says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, you know, one of the major rules in our education system that is frowned upon, that is looked down upon, is this word that starts with a P. It's called plagiarism, right? How many, how many people have been through school, high school, and college, and, and maybe once or twice you got caught plagiarizing? Let me tell you now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being honest there, old Kenley. Uh, I'm going to tell you, now, in the digital world that we live in, before you even turn in something, it goes through a process, and then they kick it back to you, and it says, this much is plagiarized, and, you, and it'll t show you exactly where you got your stuff. So you guys, you know, the older generation may think you have it harder, you know. But here's the, what's interesting about that plagiarism thing. You know, the world says this, you got to be innovative, you got to be creative, you got to be original. Um, and that works maybe for school, but let me tell you, that's not how it works in the ministry. So what do you mean? Because God is the creator of all things. You know, uh, one of the things that I've learned in ministry is there is nothing new under the sun. You know how many times I've thought I've got a gem of a message, and then I'll call, uh, 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 you know, one of my mentors, and I'll be like, hey, I've got this message. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I preached that 35 years ago. Oh, really? Come on. You know, and it's very frustrating. Um, but here's, here's what the good thing about ministry. There's no such thing as plagiarism because Paul tells Timothy, hey, take the very thing that you've learned from me and teach it. You don't have to give me credit. Give the Lord credit. I love that. And I, uh, man, I, I, I tell you what, I, I can't tell you the times that I stressed and I tried to be original and, and I try to do this. And, and, and honestly, what happens when you try to be original concerning this book oftentimes leads to heresy. Because this book is unchanging. 
So I'm trying to take an angle. And listen, there are men that are wiser than me, that have come before me, that know this word, knew this word better than me. And I'm okay looking to them and gleaning from them and learning from them. So wise pastors, uh, they, they say it often, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just, that's it's just the truth in, in that culture changes. Can I tell you that? How many know the culture changes? It changes fast. You know what doesn't change? The message of Jesus Christ. The way that the method may change a little bit, but the message never changes. So, um, uh, so I like that. So I, um, uh, let's look at verse 3 here. It says this. It says, uh, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Everyone say, share in suffering. Oh, man. That's exciting. Let's end on that. Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord for sharing and suffering for the Lord, right? Uh, Verse 4 says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Um, I like this bit of scripture right here uh, because there are three analogies that Paul looks at in the next three verses, and they're very potent and very powerful. And very forthcoming for, number one, a young minister, someone in ministry, serving in ministry, and somebody that, that is a believer. So he, he goes through this. So number one is this. If you're taking notes, here's the number one. The first one that he talks about here is being a soldier in war. Um, June 6, 1944, more than 160,000 Allied troops stormed 50 miles of beaches of Normandy there in France, known as what? D-Day, and a turning point in in World War II in the European front. Um, The soldiers on that day did not uh, leave their their Higgins boats. Higgins boats, is that right? I think that's what I I looked this up. And and they probably stepped out maybe a little bit scared, maybe a little bit afraid. Maybe uh, maybe some of them were just a little bit crazy when they they left and just took off storming really hard uh, to the shoreline. Those who made it to the shoreline started to climb the cliffs. And so the Nazis were, were all across these cliffs, and they were just sitting there just, just shooting all these, these waves of soldiers that keep coming on, and they just kept coming there. Um, and they began climbing the cliffs. If they made it to the beach, they began climbing the cliffs. And so they, then they had to, to take the risk of being shot while they're climbing the cliffs there at the beach, and they were overwhelmed with fire. Now that, and we know that D-Day, they eventually took, took the hill but this is interesting. Studies have shown that those who, heroes of D-Day did not do so out of uh, respect and appreciation um, necessarily for their country, but they did it for respect and appreciation for their commanding officers and their fellow soldiers that were, were there in the battle with them. It's pretty interesting. Risking their life uh, for your country seems very abstract, but risking your safety for the guy who's standing beside you and your commanding officer who was talking to you when you were, were going there, it, it starts to make sense. And that day, those soldiers were not worried about civilian issues. They didn't worry about what was on TV back in America. They didn't worry about what the price of milk was. They didn't think about buying a car or buying a house. Their main thing that day was to survive and to take the hill because that's what their commanding officers had asked of them. And, and they did push the Nazis back. So we too, listen to us, we too share in the suffering together as good soldiers of Christ. How many know that the enemy wants to put up a hill and wants to keep us from reaching where we need to be? But this is what I know. When I link up with people, when there's other soldiers that are with me, when I, when I link up with Mark Lynn and I link, I'm just picking on him, I can pick on, and Brad, and, and we link up and we begin to take the hill. We are suffering together for the, for the cause of Christ as soldiers of Christ. Uh, it's why Paul could say this, hey, I, if I die, it's gain. You got to love Paul. You just got to love Paul. Just the, just the fact that, hey, if I die, I'll be in heaven. It's okay. He would die for the cause of Christ. Matter of fact, when he is writing this very thing, he knows he's about to probably die. 
but yet he's encouraging his brothers and sisters that he is standing with them and he's saying, I'm willing to risk my neck for you, Timothy. I'm willing to risk my neck for you. Say your name in there right now because I know we're going to stand together because we're suffering together for the cause of Christ. And this is what I know about every good soldier. It's not about their desire, but it's the greater good that they're concerned about. It's not my individual things because if you're an individual in the military, they're going to knock that out of you really fast because it's not about just you doing good. It's about the greater good of everybody doing good. And so, um, and, and, and honestly, they, they, that's why they send them to boot camp because it's like, hey, not what I want. It's for the whole. It's this. Let me do my part and let me do it to the best of my ability. See, I like this. Paul didn't give Timothy ten theological reasons why he should serve the Lord. He didn't. He, he didn't give him ten reasons. He didn't say, hey, hey, you. these are the ten reasons why you should serve the Lord. Rather, he gave them only one. And you know what it was? To, complete, to, to please the commanding officer, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the sovereign God. That's our number one thing. Amen. How many? I love that. Amen. Verse 5 says this, and this is the next one. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to rules. Analogy number two is an athlete. You know what I like about this verse is it tells me there's no participation trophies. You don't get a crown unless you win, right? I said that a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't like ties in football. I just don't like ties in football. I, there needs to be a distinct winner, but I can relate to this one a little bit. He says, hey, you're not going to get a gold medal if you are competing and you break the rules, right? Um, I think about uh, Lance Armstrong. He was stripped of a lot of his gold medals and medals that he had won because they had found out that that he was taking um, some sort of steroids. And we've, we've seen it with different people throughout the years. Uh, but here's the thing. So, too, as us as believers, we have to uh, abide by principles found in Scripture. These are our, This is our rules right here. We know who our commander is, Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier, number one. Number two, I'm an athlete, and I know I have to abide by the rules that he has set and here's what I know, and Paul's just simply saying like this, you cannot win this race if you are sinning. That's it. Uh, Timothy, follow these principles of the Bible and its scripture and do what it says. Be obedient to God's word and not your own flesh. Here's, here's the next one. Verse 6 says this. It is uh, the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Number three, the analogy of a farmer. Um, if you have a King James Version Bible, it may say husbandman, um, and so a little different verbiage, but it means the same thing. Timothy, this is what he's saying, Paul, Paul's saying, telling Timothy, be like a farmer. You know what I love about farmers? They're patient. I know they're patient because when they move their tractors up and down my road, I have to get behind them and be very, very, very patient as they go from one place to the next, right? I, I don't know about you, uh, I've seen churches and I've seen ministries give up on something supernatural just on the verge of a breakthrough because of lack of patience. They're so close. They're so close to their breakthrough. It's like, I'm just tired. I want to give up. Um, maybe I, I've seen people whose ministries that, that failed to see a victory because they just couldn't see around the corner. Or maybe their breakthrough is just right over the hill, and it's like they, they give up just a little bit too early. The one thing about a farmer is when he plants seeds, he knows there is a timetable before that seed is going to bring something of, of fruit to him, whatever it is. The key is this, patience. Everyone say patience. You know what I know about farmers? They don't watch their crops 12 hours a day just to see if they're growing. Matter of fact, I, you got to love the patience of a farmer. They've got a measure of faith. They just put it in the ground, walk away. They care for it, and then they walk away. They come back and check on it. They walk away, and it begins to grow, 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 right? Uh, they plant. They water. They feed them, and, and, and they know eventually, Lord willing, if the grasshoppers don't come or whatever, something's going to grow. 
If you plant corn, you're going to get corn, right? Typically, <laughs> right? And same goes for us. If, if, if we want a breakthrough, oftentimes we have to, to walk away from things. We, we plant a seed, and, and sometimes we walk away from a breakthrough because we've planted the seed, and we're like, man, it's just not happening fast enough, so I'm just going to leave, and I'm going to go to something else. And we miss out on something supernatural happening in our life simply because I'm impatient. Anybody ever been there? You know, what you see, If you, everyone, everyone look around this building. Everyone just look around. Isn't it a beautiful building? It is a great building. This is amazing what God has done. Do you realize that this is 65 years of, of ministry right here, and this just didn't happen overnight? Patience. Some pastors came, and they planted, and they watered, and they planted, and they watered, and then the next pastor came, and they watered, and they watered, and the next pastor came, and he hoed and got some weeds out, and then the next pastor came. And what you see here today is, is what God has done. And this is what I know. If we stay patient, if we stay patient in prayer, stay patient with the Lord and say, God, we know you've got greater things than this, we can, we can begin to see that God is expanding our church and us, amen? He's expanding our territory. So this is what I want to tell you. I want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't walk away. So Paul says, Timothy, be a good soldier. Everyone say soldier. How do you be a good soldier? Please your commander. Do what your commander says. If he tells you to jump, you say, how high, sir, right? All right, do what he tells you. Uh, be a good athlete, following the rules and complete lawfully. And, and the last one is be patient like a farmer, and you will see fruit in your life eventually. Verse 7 says this, think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. I want to read that again. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Anybody ever lack understanding sometimes? I do sometimes. Um, and sometimes you got to think over things before you start to understand things. How about this? Uh, you know, it's, it's comical to me. You know, Novak knows how to do things on my phone that I don't even know how to do. Sometimes, like, and sometimes if he gets a hold of my phone, he'll have his picture on there and change all kinds of things and, 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 and you know, do all kinds of great things, and that's all great. But I can think about those things, but I may not have the understanding of how to do, how to do things. The King James Version actually says, consider, instead of think over, consider what I say, and the Lord gives understanding in all things. I love this verse. I'm going to tell you, I love this verse. Here's why. Here's why I love this verse. It's, there's a link between consideration and understanding. There's a link between thinking about it and understanding. There's a process here. Um, um, it's one thing to think on something, another thing to completely understand something, right? I had uh, an opportunity yesterday. I had a young lady called me, um, and you know, not from here, and she just asked me. She had some questions. She said, "I." I've got some questions, and I don't trust everybody, but I, but I trust you. So I've known this lady, uh, young lady since she was little, and she's, you know, uh, um, about 20, 25 years old. And so she asked me some questions concerning the Bible. She said, I got some questions concerning the Bible. And, and she said, how, how do you come to know uh, that what you believe is, is true and is right? And she said, sometimes I, I have trouble understanding the Bible. Anybody ever, ever ever read the Bible and go, what in the world did I just read? I mean, I've been there. All right, I've been there. Um, and, and one of the things I asked her, I said, how do you read the Bible? She says, well, I try to do, you know, this amount of Bible per day. And I said, time out. Let's, let's rethink the way that you're reading the Bible. I said, don't read it to get it done. Read it to understand. Slow down. One of the greatest things I was ever taught from one of my mentors uh, on Scripture is slow down and read the Word of God. I mean, because honestly, you can't read this thing like Reader's Digest. I don't want the Reader's Digest version of the Bible anyways. So you, you have to like, you have to take the time and, and read it slow. And I said, sometimes you, you, gotta, you just got to read it slow. You got to slow down and understand the purpose of it. And uh, most of us just, you know, we read it quickly, and I did my verse for the day or my chapter for the day. Lord, I'm, I'm out, right? Slow down, read it. 
pray about it. Oh, you mean if I read my Bible, I could pray about it? Absolutely. That's one of the best. Matter of fact, Scripture even says this. Meditate on it. Ask the Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to tell me in this? I, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm considering. But what, what do I need to understand about this Scripture? What about this? Uh, what is the Scripture trying to inspire me? What is it, what is it trying to say to me? Joshua 1.8 and Psalms 1.2 tells us that to meditate, meditate. Everyone say meditate. If we meditate on the word of God, we will have prosperity is what Joshua 1.8 says. Who wants prosperity? Get to meditating. You know what's interesting is um, this, this meditation is not Eastern meditation. You know, and some of you lived through the glory years of the 60s maybe. And you had people meditating, the lotus position and all this. You get down and hum and all this. And you know what Eastern meditation says? It, it, this is interesting. It, it says get down and, and clear your mind of all things, right? Well, biblical meditation doesn't mean to empty yourself, but it means just the opposite. It means to fill you. Think about that for a minute. Meditation in the Hebrew is linked to, and you've heard me talk about this, the, the cow and how it chews its cud. That's it. That's literally what, what meditate means. You know why cows chew the cud? They got multiple stomachs. You know why they do that? Because they're getting every nutrient that they can out of that grass that they ate out of the field. What do they do? They chew on it. They go lay down. They sit over there, and they just do this. Right? It's gross, but it's true. That's what we are to do with Scripture. I'm not saying don't do it. No. But, uh, but, but we are to do that with Scripture. We are to read it. We are to chew on it. We are to soak it up. We are to pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about it. Um, you know, here's, here's, here, I can give you, I'll give you five things that you can do when we read Scripture. Number one, here's when you read a passage. or here, here, Number one, read a passage. Number one, read a passage. Number two, stop and consider it. Think about it for a minute. Stop and consider who's saying it. Why are they saying it? What's the context of why they're saying it? Meditate on it. Chew on it. Think it through. Think it through in your mind. And number five, pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it in your mind. Pray about it. God, what are you revealing to me? If we read five verses quickly and say, I don't get it, we probably will never get it. You know why? Got to slow down. Got to wait on God. If I stop and I consider and meditate on it, the Lord has promised promised to give me understanding. How many want understanding? All right. That's, that's real practical right there. That's real good stuff. Verse 8 says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Um, here we go. I got a little warning for you. Uh, there's some real solid biblical teaching right, right ahead of us, just right here, okay? Uh, number one, Timothy, he says, hey, be strong in grace. Number two, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer, meditate, slow down, and above all, remember, here's the top one right here, above all, remember Jesus Christ. Man, when you put that in context, those things right there, how many think that that's very practical, practical and very applicable to us? That is something that we can all do. Hey, hey, be strong in grace, Timothy. I, I, I'm going to love people right where they're at. I'm going to do my best to, to help people out. I'm going to be like a soldier, Lord. If you ask me to do something, Lord, I'm going to be your best soldier. I, I want to I do what you tell me, Lord. I want to be like an athlete. I want to follow principles. I want to I abide by what you've told me. I want to be like a farmer. I want to I be patient with your process and what you're doing. And I'm going to slow down and I'm going to meditate on the word of God. But the main thing is the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ. I like that. Paul says, hey, don't get enamored in ministry and caught up in theology. No, 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 no. It's about Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Plain and simple. Uh, you hear me say this a lot on Wednesday nights. Keep the main thing what? Keep the main thing the... I love it. I, I like that. It's all about Jesus. Always has been, always will be. Um, so how do we remember Jesus? Here's a good way to remember Jesus. And we're going to do this soon when we take communion. The Lord said, do this in what? In remembrance of. That's how we remember what God did for us. 
be grateful for his loving kindness and mercy on you. All right. Verse 9 says this, for which I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Everyone say amen. Um, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, they also, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So even though I'm in prison here, Timothy, guess what? The word of God in me is not bound. I may be physically chained, but I am free as a bird right here in my heart and in my life. While I'm still alive, this is what he's saying. I, I, Paul says, while I'm still alive, I'm going to preach this gospel to everyone. They can be walking me out to cut off my head, and I'm going to be preaching the gospel f- until I t- draw my last breath. I don't know. I, I begin to think about this, these, these letters uh, that, that Paul left us. I mean, he, most of the New Testament, and, and it goes on and on. What a legacy Paul left, right? It's pretty amazing. What what a legacy he left and, and the message of Jesus Christ. I, I think of pastors who have preached for 40, maybe 50, sometimes 60 years, and I think, man, what a legacy that that pastor has. What what a legacy that they've laid before them. You know, one of the things that I like and I'm, I'm very happy that we have in modern society is now you can YouTube and, and, and you can get on YouTube and you can find uh, sermons from, from pastors in the past and some things. And maybe if, you're, if you have a, a tape player, you have cassettes. How many remember when church used to record on the cassettes? Like sometimes you might have those old preaching tapes or, or maybe even a CD for my, my, my people my age. They may understand that a little bit more. Um, but it's amazing to me that, that you can hear some dynamic preachers. You know what's crazy? They've passed on, but they're still proclaiming God's goodness. Paul's passed on. He's still preaching Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. I, I love it. Um, you know, I, I, I'll give you a few names that you can, that you can think of. And these are just, geez, just a few. There's, there's multiples. I, 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 this is not by any means a list that that I just randomly just thought of these. I'll be honest with you. How about how about the legacy of Billy Graham? I don't I don't even know how many people were saved under Billy Graham's ministry. But you can get on YouTube and you can hear him talking that North Carolina accent that he has and and tell you about the love of Jesus Christ and hear a salvation message. How about this guy, Reinhard Bonnke? Anybody know who that is? It's estimated he, he was a German. He was born during World War II in Germany. His, his dad was in, in the German army, and he got saved. His dad was a pastor and went and was a missionary in Africa. And he served his life there in Africa. And it is estimated that Reinhard Bonnke, that 75 million people came to Christ under his ministry. That's a legacy. That's amazing. What about Dwight L. Moody, right? Uh, some of you have told me, hey, I listen to the D.L. Moody radio on the way to church sometimes, right? How about that guy? Here's another one. This is another guy, a little bit, a little more modern, too. This, this, this African-American pastor, S.M. Lockridge. Anybody know who that is? Uh, I figure I'd, I'd catch some of you off guard. And, and that guy, he's another one that just, just to name a few, just legacy, living on. And I don't know about you. I, I like what Paul's saying here. I, I may be dying, but my legacy lives on through these letters and through my preaching. Amen. Verse 11 says this, this saying is trustworthy. Woo, I like this. For if if we have died with him, we also will live with him. Um, I like Paul. He uses this statement a lot. A lot. In this translation, he, he says this, this saying is trustworthy. He, you know how many times he says it? He says it five times. This saying is trustworthy. First Timothy 1.15 says this, this saying is trustworthy and, des- and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How many know that that's why Christ came to, to this world, to save sinners? That's trustworthy, who I am the foremost is what he says. Uh, Jesus came to save sinners, number one. He, and then in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we talked about this a few weeks ago. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So 
So uh, anyone that wants to be an overseer, a pastor, or a bishop, or anybody in leadership, uh, it is a noble task. Here's the next one, 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 9. says this, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So talking about, hey, physical health, hey, that's great. Go exercise. Uh, take care of yourself. But you know what's more valuable than that? Godliness. Look at this. Here's the next one. Second Timothy. I just read it. Uh, uh, 2, uh, 11 through 13 says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. Verse 12 says this. If, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So God remains faithful, all right? And Titus, he says it again in Titus, in the book of Titus 1.8, says this, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And Titus 1 through 8 deals with us being saved by grace. He's saying, hey, you're not saved by your good works, but you ought to be doing good works because you're saved. All right, look at this. So back to Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. If we're dying for Jesus, we are also uh, live with him, right? That's what, what, what it says. Not only in heaven, but presently because of of the extent to which we will experience life is the extent to the extent to which we will experience life abundantly. Uh, when I choose to die in reputation, when I choose to die in my rights, when I choose to die of my ideals, when I choose to die to my pleasures, when I choose to take up the cross and die daily, as Jesus told me to, guess what? I live. That's where the rubber meets the road right there. That is, that is some good, good stuff. What does it mean to take up your cross? I'm not talking about if you have the flu. That is not taking up your cross. If you and your husband got in a fight, that is not taking up your cross. Listen, that's just, it, 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 that's just life. It's not grieving over a lost loved one. That's not taking, that is just life. How many know that life happens? Taking up the cross, listen to me, taking up the cross means choosing to sacrifice something of yourself for the redemption of someone else. Taking up your cross means choosing to sacrifice something of yourself for the redemption of someone else. So what are you choosing to do for someone else's redemption, for someone else's spiritual growth? It's a good question, right? Are you, are you willing to, hey, are you willing to study so that you can teach? Are you willing to pray, sacrifice your time to pray for someone so that they might be free and, and know the saving grace of Jesus Christ? What are you choosing to let go of? What are you choosing to give up? What are you choosing to die to? I know this is, I know this, this is very pointed, but it's very good. And this is what I know. You got to let go of yourself. When you let go of yourself, you'll find ab abundant life in him. And you know what? That's a promise. That's a promise from the Lord. All right, verse 12 says this. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So in Matthew 26, 74, Peter said this. He said, I never knew that man, right? Talking about Jesus. And they said, you, you sound like someone from Galilee. And I didn't know that man. Yet after Jesus' resurrection, he singled out one person personally, Peter, and went and ministered to him and loved on him tenderly. So this verse doesn't refer to, uh, to those who stumble like Peter, but those who, who repeatedly um, say, hey, I, I want nothing to do with Jesus. How many know that there are people who, we all make mistakes. How many made a mistake today? Somehow, some way. All right. But, but there are people who make mistakes but who also say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ at all. So this is say if we endure, we'll, we'll also reign with him. But here's the thing. If I deny Jesus, guess what? He is going to deny 
us as well. Look at this. Verse 13 says this. If we are faithless, the King James Version says, if we believe not. Um, and this is one of those times it's in translation, this translation, the ESV is just a little bit clearer here. So if we are faithless, it's not talking about believing for salvation, but but the times that, that our faith is wavering. Anybody's faith ever waver? Maybe your faith has faltered when we struggle, when we're slipping and sliding. So if if we are faithless, look at this, uh, when, we, when we're struggling, when we're, we're trying to get traction, you know, I, I think about anybody ever got a vehicle stuck in a field or a truck and you, you get it stuck in the mud and you're trying and you, you keep thinking five more revs and I'll get it out of here and you're just going deeper and deeper. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and, 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 and you just feel like, man, my faith, I'm just, I'm just, I feel like I'm going deeper and deeper. But if we are faithless, look at this, he remains what? Mm, that's so good. If we are faithless, guess what? He remains faithful for he, what? Cannot deny himself. So the Lord, Lord remains faithful even to the believer who fails the Savior. That's called grace. When I fail, he's, he's still faithful. Um, here's a good example. Uh, imagine if, if, if you and I, okay, that's everyone in the building, you and I went to Yellowstone National Park. Anybody ever been to Yellowstone? All right, God bless you people who have been to Yellowstone. I've never been. But there is a geyser there called Old Faithful, right? And, and what I'm told, every about 90 minutes almost to the queue, that, that geyser will, will explode. I don't know what it spew, what it spew up in the air. And, and imagine if we were there and we were waiting on Old Faithful to do its thing, and me and you were there, and we're sitting in a safe area away from it because I know it's hot water coming out. And we're sitting there, and you're there, and all of a sudden you get bored, and you start looking around, and then you see a goose, and you begin to chase this goose out in the middle of the woods. How many are tracking with me right now? You're on a wild goose chase, literally, and you're out in the woods, and, 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 then, and then you come, and you, know, you realize, oh, my goodness, I'm on a wild goose chase, and Old Faithful's back here. I'm in Yellowstone, and I'm chasing a goose. What in the world am I doing? And you come back, and, I, and you see me sitting there, and I'm like, man, that that geyser, it just spewed up in the air. It was beautiful. It was awesome to see. It was amazing. You're like, oh, I missed it. You know what happens when you come back and you want to wait till the next time Old Faithful doesn't go, well, 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 look who left. Hmm. I think I'll wait just a few more minutes before I do it again, right? No, 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 no. No, Old Faithful, no, no, uh, it, it, it just erupts it regularly. It's faithful no matter your position. And that's the way the Lord is. The Lord is faithful even when we go on wild goose chases, chasing sin, chasing our desires. And Paul is saying God is the best, I mean, I guess the best way to, is the best sense uh, is like Old Faithful in the most reverent way that I could say that. His blessings are always faithful because his blessings continue to flow. And I don't know about you. There's been times where I've went down wild goose chases and God's just sitting there being faithful, doing his thing. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I go back and God's still doing his thing. How many know, I love that verse in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. It says, but God, by his grace, he leads us, leads us home. I love that. God cannot deny himself. He, he's, he's not faithful one day and frustrated the next. Oh, thank God that God is not me. <laughs> he's not generous one day and stingy the next. He's continually and completely faithful. Verse 14. I'll try to, try to cruise through this last little bit here. Uh, uh, if, here's a subheading here. A worker approved by God. Verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good. So next time you and your spouse are arguing, you need to pull this verse up. To quarrel about words is no good. That's what, that's what it says. Um, but only ruins the hearers. All the married people say amen. Fifteen, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we are to understand, uh, you know, one of the things we need to understand is this. The world's divided, right? 
We know the world's divided. Guess what? We cannot allow the world to divide us. Amen? Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know why I love the word of God? It's living. And sometimes I read it and I'm like, God, you mad at me because you're making me read this right now? You know what, that word, what is approved there, it, it really means this. What remains after a testing? Well, it's kind of like a metal in a fire, right? You take metal and you've seen them. Has anyone ever seen that process where they take a gold and they, they melt it down and they get the impurities off the gold and they, they make a ring out of it or whatever the case. This is exactly what happens to us. We're being tested and God is pulling things out of us that need to be refined. Amen. I've been preaching a while now in my life. And honestly, the Bible continually every day tests me. And every day I read this, I'm like, man, I, I, God, by your grace, I'm just going to keep pressing forward. I'm, I may not have the strength and to be able to do it all on my own, but God, I'm just going to lean into you. Help me to get those things out of my life that are not good. And I've seen it, this this Bible, listen to me, has been tested in my life over and over and over. You know why I have faith? Because I've seen God do the things that he said he would do. And I've leaned on him when I didn't understand things. And I opened up this Bible and I'm going to say, God, I, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to trust what your word says. And every time I come out of the fire, I'm like, yeah, God, you did it again. You did it again. It, it's seen its truth over and over not my truth, but but his truth. So rightly handling or dividing, meaning to cut straight. How many know the Bible cuts straight? You know, the Bible doesn't cut with man's opinion. It cuts through man's opinion, but, but it doesn't cut with man's opinion. No, 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 no. It cuts with the power of the truth of the word of God. So um, rightly dividing here, it, it's not, uh, you know, the Bible is not based on any of my preconceived biases. But it's the word of God. No more, no less. Simple. Now, the word of truth. The truth defines the nature of scripture. It's a beacon uh, of truth in a dark uh, a world that has all kinds of falsehoods, right? How many lies do we hear every day? All the time. Uh, teachers of the Bible should make every effort to hand handle this truth accurately. I, I do my best with that. James 3.1 tells us that if we, uh, that failure to do so will result in divine judgment. So I say, God, help me to rightly divide this thing because I don't want to misinterpret what you're doing and what you're saying. Um, I work hard at this. I pray often. I search deep. I ask the Holy Spirit to inspire me. I study intently to say what God has told me to say. I speak what he said to speak. And I love how he tells me to love. I tell the truth like he tells me to tell the truth. And I thank God that he gave me the opportunity to do so. I love that. I really do. Verse 16 says this, but avoid uh, irrelevant babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So you know, I'll give, I'm going to give you some advice. Turn off the view. Turn off talk shows. Get off social media. Stay out of silly arguments. You know, follow this single verse, man, and I tell you, it can free you in so many ways right here. But avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their talk will spread like uh, gangrene. I like this translation. <laughs> Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, talking about the rapture. They are upsetting the faith of some. So Paul's warning Timothy, hey, there's these two guys. He calls them by name. They're false teachers. And they're basically saying the rapture has already happened. And, and, and honestly, this is what Paul's saying. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Verse 16, 17 um, are why we have to make verse 15 such a priority, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
because of 16 and 17. Because there are people who will teach things for their own good. That's, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm being real. I'm being real here. Second uh, Timothy 4.3 says this, and we'll get to this uh, in, in a couple of weeks. For the time is coming when people will not endure what? Sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Listen to me. Listen to me right now. There are movements right now that are happening in evangelical movements, and people are, are preaching things that are heresy, and people are saying, oh, no, this is, this is what I want to hear, not what, God, what I need to hear. And, and listen, we, we have got to be careful. we got to know what the Word of God says. This, I said it last week. The Bible ought to make you uncomfortable at some point. And if you are, don't feel uncomfortable by the preaching of the Bible, man, you, you need to check yourself. I tell you what, there are some things in this book, sometimes I'm like, oh, Lord, that is tough. That is hard. Help me to work through this. It's why people, we see people running, uh, you know, from, from this church to that church, not this specific church, but from church to church, so often to hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Come on, somebody. This Bible should offend you from time to time, not to push you away, but to lovingly change and say, ah, I've got some things I, I need to work on here. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing its seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So he's quoting here, Numbers 16, he's saying this, there are false teachers that are, that are causing problems and misleading people, and the Lord will keep what is truly his. Okay, so look at this. Uh, how many remember the story in, uh, of Korah and, and David and Abraham? Asked, and they asked Moses, they said, who, who gives you the right to rule over us out here? How many remember that story? Some of you do. All right. And Moses said wisely to the 250 men that were with him, if I were you, I would depart from, from them. They're causing division. They're causing division. They are a big problem. You need to stay. Moses telling these 250 people, stay away from these guys. He's warning them, hey, listen, you need to heed to what I'm saying. And, and Numbers 16.32 says this, so the earth, what? Swallowed them up. Took care of them. Hey, maybe you find yourself swallowed up by despair or confusion. Or maybe you hang around those who, who cause problems. I have, I have yet to see a woman or a man prosper who causes division and problems in a church. Come on, somebody. Verse 20 says this. Now in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some of for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for what is dishonorable, hey, how many are grateful grace? He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Everyone say set apart as holy. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, so Paul's saying this, consider the church. It's a great house, a sacred house, he told Timothy. Within it, you'll find different containers. There's beautiful vase, vases, and sometimes there's garbage cans, right? And Paul's simply saying, hey, you, you saying separate yourselves from those who pollute or cause problems in the body. And then, and, 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 and so that you can become a beautiful vase, all right? I would rather be a beautiful vase than a trash can, right? Matter of fact, I opened up my trash can. I was throwing something away out of my trash uh, or out of my truck into my trash can. I opened it up, and I was like, man, this trash stinks. This is what Paul's saying. Take out the garbage. Get it out of the house. Get it out. How do I, be how do I become a vessel of honor? Get rid of what is dishonorable to God out of my life. Be holy for what I am holy. Lord, set me apart not like the world, set me apart like you want me to be. Not acting like the world, doing what they do, but free from those activities that were called dishonor. Verse 22, I promise we're almost done here. Verse 22, everyone say, so flee youth, youthful passions. This does not mean that if you are old, um, and, and this, this isn't specifically just talking to, to just youthful people. It's talking about the passion itself. Just because you're old does not mean that you don't have uh, those passions and desires. 
And honestly, this literally means, hey, you should flee from any lust regardless of how old you are. And you can't say, hey, I'm older now, so I could probably watch this movie, um, you know, so I, I shouldn't be. No, don't even give it any open door in your, in your life. Here's the thing. If those who do those kind of things, you're only kidding yourself. Uh, be, because the lusts that, that were real when they were younger are real, real in their life today. Just saying. The world lust here, uh, the word lust here, I'm sorry, it, it, in the Greek means this. That which is forbidden. I've said it before. If you have to ask where the line is before I sin, you're missing the point. You shouldn't be even close to the line. Matter of fact, you should be like, I don't even want to get close to that line. I want to, I want to stay as far away from that line because here's what happens. When I try to get close to that line, I'm, I am at risk of falling over that line. One thing Paul tells Timothy is, hey, we have to do is to be, we have to be useful vessels for God's work. We've got to be set apart. Get away from sin. Run from it. Don't gravitate towards it, but away. Look at this. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So number, uh, number one, flee from lust. Number two here, pursue righteousness. I like this. Run from sin. Run towards what is right in God's eye. I like that. Listen, repentance is turning away from sin and running towards righteousness. That's what it is. It's plain and simple. When you're struggling, if you don't flee and run uh, uh, to, to who call upon the, the Lord, you're going to be tempted a second time even, and maybe even a third time. And, and maybe you need help. Maybe you need accountability. Jody talks about this a lot in men's group. Hey, you need to have accountability. You need to find somebody you can confide in. You need to find somebody that will pray with you and hold you accountable. Verse 23 says this. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. All right. Man, that's a great verse. <laughs> you know they, uh, th that they breed quarrels. So number one, flee from use. Here's, here's another. These are great sermons right here, by, by the way. Number two, pursue righteousness. Number three, avoid foolish, ignorant controversies. Um, there are com some conversations and things I've been a part of that I wish I could go back and do over. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? Okay. Oh. I, this, I heard this pastor this week, and he said, you know, if we click the links for controversies, you know, I, you know, there's been some pastors who have made some bad decisions in recent times. And, and he said, if, if you are chasing controversies of pastors and their failures, he goes, you need to pray through. And I was like, that's, that's so good because, you know what, I, I got to work on myself. All right, look at this, verse 24, and you got to work on yourself. Here we go. Almost done, I promise. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the, of the truth. Verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So one of the hardest things to do in ministry is this. To be gentle when people oppose oppose you as a leader. It, it, I promise you, it is a hard thing to walk through. Sometimes people who are who have a cross purpose and they're worried about their own own welfare and not anything else, not because they hurt you, but because they are hurting themselves. There's moments where where you try to help someone and they just keep going down the wrong path. And you're like, come on, I love you. Come on, you can be better. Yet Paul tells us to be gentle and be patient when people are their own worst enemies. So the devil wants to divide and confuse, right? We know that about the devil. And if there's confusion in your life, you got to ask, who, where's that confusion coming from? God is not the author of confusion, amen? So Paul says this, Hymenaeus and Philetus, the, the aim is this, to correct them to repentance. He's not calling them out. He's just saying, hey, we've got to get them to a new way of thinking. We've got to get them from that false thinking and get them turned towards what is right. Be patient with them, Timothy. Pray that the devil wouldn't ensnare them and make them do his will. Can the devil make you do his will when you are obedient to what he tells you to do? Yes. Three takeaways here, are you right? You guys ready for this? 
number one, real, real fast, pray, for, pray that you and that those around you will follow the right commander, Jesus. Here's number two, live the principle of an athlete. Follow the laws, follow the rules that God has, has ordained you to follow. And number three, don't grow weary. You've got to be patient like the farmer. And honestly, in short, may we all grow strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me. And I just want to pray over every need in this house. God, I pray right now, Lord. God, I, I'm just so grateful for your word. God, it stirs me. God, it, it, it is correcting at times. It, it helps me. God, I, I'm just grateful, Lord, that I can lean into it, Lord. And God, tonight, God, I pray, Lord, that the seeds that are planted by this word tonight, Lord, would bring fruition, God, maturity of, of, of relationships with you. God, I pray that words that we heard tonight would take us to another level, God, in six months from now, God. We would see fruit in our lives and things happening, God. I pray, Lord, that that seed is planted and watered. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just seal everything that we've heard. God, we lift up, God, this young lady who was taken to the hospital to Riley last night. God, I pray, Lord, you be with her, be with her family. God, touch her, uh, lead and guide the doctors. God, we pray for every situation. God, in every need in this building, those who are dealing with sickness, those who are dealing with um, family issues, and God, and things that seem so big. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just walk with us. God, we cast our cares on you because you care for us. God, tonight you are a loving God, and so, God, we just lean into you. God, I say, Lord, give us grace in our walk. Be with us until the next time, and God, we'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory, and everybody said, amen. amen. Find about.